you think, oh, you got to prepare the congregation for worship, or I'm, I'm in the congregation too. So it really makes a difference in my life. If you're in high school and you'd like to um, be a part of the high school group, you can meet out in the foyer. Um, right now, you can go out there right now, they're waiting for you. Uh, or you can stay here if you feel more comfortable, that's fine. I'm going to read Psalm 46. Psalm 46, one of my favorite psalms. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we do not fear. The earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 is one of those psalms, the first time you read it, you never forget it. You, you, you never forget it because of the intimacy of the writing and how it just grips your heart the first time you hear it. It's something I believe we can all relate to. We're in a series called Fix Our Eyes, and last week I encouraged you to put down your sword. We're always talking about personality-wise, I talked about this last week, that my personality is pick up your sword, come on, let's charge the mountain. And in this series, what I'm saying is no, put down your sword. Think more, reflect more on being and less on doing. Allow the Holy Spirit to just work in your heart and in your life. Be still and know that he is God. Put down your sword and let the Holy Spirit of God fight the battle for you. I love this psalm, like I said, because I believe it's, it's something that we can, we can all relate to. Last week, I also talked to you about um, living your life backward. Projecting yourself out to the future and then doing everything you can, not allowing anything in this world to stop you from becoming the person that God has designed and created you to be. Not allowing anything in this world to stop you from fulfilling your destiny. And people are asking me, what do you mean by, by you know, live your life backward? Well, project yourself out. And I'm not talking about what you're going to be. You say, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a doctor. I want to be this. I want to be that. That's great. Those are all good things. But more than anything else, it's who. 
Who has God called you to be? He's called you to be to a person who's conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the end of your story. Someone who is more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Someone who's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. That's the person that you want to be. You need to project yourself out. You need to look down at the end of your life, at the end of your story and say, this is who I am going to be and then not allow anything on earth or in hell to stop you from becoming the person that you were destined to be. That's what it means. Because in the most difficult times of our lives, that will keep us moving forward. When we understand who God has called us to be, and we live our lives to become that person. See, we're in a challenging series, uh, season of our own right now. We're in a very challenging season of our own. More than anything else, what we need to do is to depend less on ourselves and more on God. When you're going through a difficult time, when you're facing things you've never faced before, when you feel like you're surrounded on every side, we need to fight these battles on our knees. We need to put down our sword and trust God to fight these battles for us. Now, before we jump into the heart of our talk, I want to give you a little context for Psalm 46. Psalm 46 gives the reader clear instructions on how this psalm or the song, Psalm 46 is a song, how this song was to be performed in worship. This is, this is a song that they would sing during their time of worship. It tells us before the psalm begins, before you read it, that it is written for the director of music of the sons of Korah. What that means is only the most gifted singers, only, only the best singers, only the most skilled musicians were allowed to sing or perform this in worship like our praise band, right? That's who'd be able to do it. It had to be the best. They had to be the most gifted singers and musicians, the most skilled musicians. That's who could play this song. So Psalm 46 held, extre- it held extreme significance in the time that it was written. It wasn't just, hey, whoever wants to sing it. No, extreme significance in the time it was written. It was a psalm also that we could all relate to. Like I said earlier, as you read that, we all have gone through challenging times where we're calling on our God to be our refuge and our strength. And you can see from the verses, you can see from the verses that we've read here in this chapter, that the psalmist is going through some challenging times in his life. There are things that are going on that we, it's not all laid out for us and doesn't describe it all, but they're, they're, he's going through a very, very difficult trial in his life. Maybe, maybe he's facing some difficult personal issues. Maybe it's something that's just been nagging him or it's a physical issue or emotionally or whatever. He may be going through some personal issues in his life that are just overwhelming. Most likely, he was writing this during a time of war. Regardless of whether it's personal, which it probably was, and it was a time of war, he was going through some deep conflict 
in his life. The writer may be, have, he may be trying to encourage or inspire the children of Israel to hold on to their God. He may be trying to inspire them and encourage them to stand in the strength of the Lord, to stand up not in their own strength, but in the strength of their God. That is an encouragement for all of us because every single person in this room is going through a challenging season of their own. I, as a pastor, have never experienced anything like this. Every single person, even though you say, oh, I'm doing okay, like, you know, we talk to each other, yeah, I'm doing fine, you're doing fine, yeah, I'm doing okay, and in our heart of hearts, there are so many things that are swirling in our minds. Even if we're doing okay, the people around us are not doing okay. The stress level is so high. People feel so overwhelmed. I, I was saying to my wife, Deb, yesterday, I've said it to her before, but everyone is, they're, they're, they're just on edge. It's a difficult time in each of our lives. So last week, I encouraged you to put down your sword. To put down your sword. You know, so many times, like I said, in the midst of these situations, we want to put, pick up our sword, but I, but I want to encourage you once again to put down your sword, and I want you to reflect, because I want to tell you another story. And it's a story that I believe will help you as you try to keep, keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus, as you struggle to keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. In Judges chapter six and ongoing, it tells us the story of Gideon. Again, I wanna tell you the end of the story first, and this is important. I wanna tell you the end of the story first to remind you, to just remind you that once again, God is the end and the beginning of our story as well. Every single person here, I said, project yourself out into the future. Who are you going to be? the characteristics of who you are. Project yourself out, because God, if this helps, God is the end and the beginning and the middle of our story. And nothing, it, nothing in this world can thwart God's will. The only thing that can stop you from becoming God, who God has created you to be, is you. So we need to put down our sword, and I want you to reflect on this story. I'm gonna tell the end first, so that it will help us, it will help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. So in Judges chapter seven, verse 17, Gideon says this, watch me, this is the end, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Now, pause right there, hold off, don't read anymore, stop, look at me. Here's Gideon, this man is confident. This man knows he's a leader. He knows he's leading his people. He says, listen, listen, you follow me, do as I do. When I do this, you do that. He's in charge, he's confident, he feels conviction. He's transformed. He is a leader. He knows his responsibility before God. And then it goes on, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torch in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets. They blew, they were, they were to blow, and they, and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the, hundred, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So basically, you have bedlam. They bust these pots, they blow their horns, and, and the army of Midian, the Midianites, all turn on each other with their swords and wipe each other out. Sometimes the best weapon to use during a time of war, during one of the most challenging fights you're ever going to have in your life, is not a sword, is trust. We need to trust in our God. Gideon here is outnumbered at least 125,000 to 300, and he uses the most unorthodox weapons to win this battle. He, he, he uses the most unusual weapons. Here's the thing. God is not limited in the ways that he can be our strength in times of trouble. God is not limited by your mind. I, I don't see how he's going to figure this out. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I don't see how this is all going to work out. God is not limited on the strength that he will use in different circumstances when it comes to rescuing us, when it comes to being our refuge, when it comes to being our shield, when it comes to being our strength. He's not at a loss for things that he can do to be our strength in times of trouble. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. In this time of Gideon here, God's people were just facing terrible challenges. There was so much strife, they were so overwhelmed, so they called on their God for help. In Judges chapter six, verses seven to 11, we read this. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the land of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in, the, in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. God's, God's word is clear. God's word is clear. Our Lord is with us wherever we go. But here's the thing. We, all, we, we sing songs about that, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and all these songs about God is with us. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He'll stand up for us. We sing about it. We read about it. We go to Bible studies and we hear about it and we're excited about it. But when we're actually going through one of the most challenging times of our lives, we begin to doubt. We, we, begin, to, we begin to doubt. 
And doubt causes our eyes no longer to be fixed on Jesus, but pulled in a different direction. We begin to doubt. Struggles turn our focus inward. And when our focus is turned inward, we begin to try to do God's job for him. We, we step into that role. We say, well, God, I don't really see you here, so I need to step in. Instead of just being in his presence, be still and know that I am God, listening, trusting, resting in the presence of God. Our doubt also causes us to focus on and reach for things that are, I'd say, false courage or false care or just really false comfort we basically fall back into our sinful patterns. We all know this. Each one of us has besetting sins in our lives. And when things get stressful, when things get difficult, we fall back into those patterns of sin. This is something I've been concerned about throughout this whole experience. We need to make sure that we're not falling back into patterns of sin. We, re we need not reach out to something other than Jesus Christ. We talk about, we read about, we sing about, Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. Christ is sufficient to meet every need that we have. But then all of a sudden we're overwhelmed, that doubt comes in, and again we start to take it back from God and try to do it in our own strength, or we fall into sinful patterns and habits, and our lives are pulled down the wrong path. Have you noticed a lot of churches are not open because of what's going on? A lot of churches I know are not going to reopen. But you know what I see a lot of opening? Mega stores, liquor stores, huge liquor stores. False courage, false comfort. We reach for something other than Jesus Christ. When we're faced with a trial and doubt begins to permeate our minds, we begin to move in another direction. I have to ask you, I just need you to pause and think about that. Where are you right now in your spiritual walk? Ask yourself, is this who you're going to be at the end of your story? Where you are right now, is this who you're going to be at the end of your story? Well, no, I'll snap out of it. Project yourself into the future. Who is the person you're going to be? You're going to be a person conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're going to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person who belongs to God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Is that who you're going to be? Or are you going to be the person you are right now, anesthetizing and not trusting in Christ's sufficiency? Life tri life's trials can cause us to question God's love. These trials can cause us to question God's wisdom. These trials can cause us to question God's strength. Okay, so here in Judges chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says this. Keep moving forward. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. There it is. There's the end of his life. There's the end of his story. He just told them, don't read any further. This is what he says. 
When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's who Gideon is. That's who God designed and created him to be. Not in his own strength, but in the strength that God would give him. Mighty warrior. Here we are. That's the end of his story. A mighty warrior of God. You see, I know the end of my story. I already know the end of my story. He wrote it. So I know what the end looks like. And there is nothing on this earth. There's no temptation. There's no seduction. There's no other path. There's no whatever. Whatever it is, I will not not deviate from the path that God has put me on because I know the end of my story and I will do anything in my power and everything in my power to become the person he's designed and created me to be. Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Yeah, Gideon, what does Gideon say? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why is it happening? You say God is with us. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Not a mighty warrior. See, Gideon failed to realize one of the most important, one of the most powerful biblical truths. When I am at my weakest, God's strength is most active in my life. When I feel the weakest, when I feel the most overwhelmed, when I feel the most out of control, when I feel like I have nothing left to give, when I reach down inside and find nothing, when I pull myself, try to pull myself on my own bootstraps and I snap in my hands, that's when God's strength is most active in my life. Gideon did not understand this biblical truth. And so he's saying, well, pardon me. I got a question to ask you. So the response in Judges 6, 14, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. I've already, you you are who I want you to be. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Gideon, Gideon's still not confident or convinced of his own abilities or his God's. He is not convinced of God's abilities. He is not confident in his own abilities for sure. He is certainly not confident in God's abilities either. And in verse 15, he says this, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And God is saying to him, listen to me. And he's saying this to us. It's not about your strength, it's about my strength. It's not about your abilities, it's about my abilities. I designed you, I created you, I will give you the strength that you need to do all I called you to do. You know, when either Jesus or God the Father or the Holy Spirit call you to do something, they never call you to do something that they're not going to give you the strength to do. God is never, Jesus, when he was going to feed the 5,000, Andrew realized that Jesus was not going to ask him to do something he wasn't going to give him the power to do. That's why he just stepped out in faith and did it. Because he knew Jesus wasn't going to ask him to do something. God is not going to ask you to do something that he doesn't give you the strength to do. He isn't asking you because you're all that, man. You're all that more. 
Everyone around you just, <laughs> they pale in comparison to your greatness, and so God's like, well, who can I pick? Oh, I see, Jeff, that, oh, for, but thank goodness, because I had no idea what I was going to do if it wasn't for Jeff Greer. No. He says, are there any vessels out there that I can pour into? Is anyone, are anyone's hands open? Are they open to allow me to pour my strength into their weakness? That's what he's talking about. Paul faced the same struggle. He faced the same trials, okay? The same struggles that they were facing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. It isn't about my strength. It isn't about my power. When I am weak, then I am strong. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. That's where it comes from. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Regardless of what we're facing right now, we have a God who walks with us every step of the way and gives us the strength that we need in our struggles. And we all face struggles. We, we, we all face struggles. So I don't think that we need to know exactly what was going on in the life of the psalmist when he wrote Psalm 46 in order to understand how he felt or how Gideon felt or how Paul felt. What we need to do is just look at our own lives and look at the lives of our loved ones when they're facing loss, when they're facing confusion, when they're facing a challenge, and we understand. These were men. We are men and women. We just need to look into our own lives to know what they might have been feeling, the the stress they may have been under. Just look at the lives of the people around you He was a refuge and stronghold. God was a refuge and stronghold for Gideon. In this psalm, in this psalm, he's described, God is described as a refuge and and strength and ever-present help. And God is a refuge. God is is a stronghold. God is our strength. He was Gideon's strength, and he's our strength as well. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. He is our strength. The phrase, the Lord Almighty is with us, is basically repeated twice in these chapters. It's repeated twice. The Lord Almighty is with us. Psalm 46 was written in third person to basically remind the readers that God was their strength and he would work on their behalf regardless of the struggles that they were facing. But then something happens. You read the first verses and then something happens in verse 10. Something changes. The point of view shifts. So instead of talking about God, God, the Lord himself, addresses us directly. And what does he say to us directly? He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46.10. See, when you're reading your Bible and the pattern changes, it causes you to focus more of your attention on that verse. 
Because God's about to say something that we all need to hear. And what does he say? In the midst of their struggle, probably in the midst of terrible war, in the midst of personal difficulty, in the midst of everything going on, what does God say? Well, listen, you sissy, pick up your sword and fight the battle. What is wrong with you? Pull yourself up by your own. You're just going to reach down deep and you'll find something. That's not what he says. What does he say? Be still. Be still. You gotta think to yourself. You gotta be thinking to yourself right about now. Why, why would he say that? See, it's again most likely that the psalm was written, as in Gideon's story, in a time of war, with all I just described. Why? Why would he tell them to be still in the middle of the struggle? They're in the middle of the battle. They're in the middle of the difficulty. They're in the middle of being overwhelmed and being stressed. And he tells them to be still. He tells them to be still. God is commanding them this. Stop fighting in your own strength. Stop fighting in your own strength. Fix your eyes on who I am, the great I am, the one who parted the Red Sea, the one who walked on water, the one who was there and closed the mouths of the lions in Daniel, Daniel's story. I am the one who did all these miraculous things. Stop focusing and trying to do it on your own. Stop focusing on your own strength and remember who I am. In other, other translations, it says, cease striving. That's even more. Cease striving and know that I am God. You're in the middle of the most difficult challenge of your life. Cease striving. Put down your sword. The best place to fight this battle is not standing with a sword in your hand, but it is on your knees in prayer. Cease striving and know that I am God. I am your refuge and strength. I will fight this battle for you. I think... I think as humans, when something happens that causes us pain or causes us confusion, our natural tendency is to take things into our own hands and fight the battles on our own. It is to take up a sword and fight the battle in our own strength. That's our natural tendency. Things start going wrong, we're like, ah, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta do something here. And that may be sometimes out of fear. Almost all the time, the foundation of it all is you're no longer in control and you know it. You're not in control. And then when you're not in control sometimes, you're angry with God. And what do you do when you're angry with God? What you do is what Gideon did. He says, pardon me, Lord, pardon me. Where were you when? That's what we say. And I think every one of us would have to admit at some point in our life, we said that to God. Pardon me, God, but where were you when? And as I was, and I was studying this, and I was going through it this week, two stories, two thoughts came to mind with this whole idea of, God, where were you when? Pardon me. One was when I was a baby Christian, couldn't be more than two months old, I was reading through my study Bible and going through everything, and then I, I read, someone gave me this thing called Footprints in the Sand. And I was like, well, I started reading it, and I was reading along, and you know, I'm not gonna read the whole thing or go through the whole thing, but basically the gist of it is that the, the, the person says to Jesus, hey, Lord, I noticed when I was going through the most difficult times of my life, there are only one set of footprints. 
pardon me, but where were you when? And what is Jesus' response? When you see one set of footprints, that was me carrying you. Ellie Weasel. I was reading Robbie Zacharias' book. I believe it's Cries of the Heart. But I'll never forget the story that Robbie tells about Ellie. He is a man who, he was, he was in, the, in the concentration camps in Germany during World War II. And as he is in that concentration camp, each day they would take the, the prisoners out to this big open area, and many times they would hang people. And so they were all taken out, the guards are there with their machine guns, they're surrounding them, and they have three chairs up on a platform and the noose is hanging. Today's a little different though because they usually hang adults. But today they have two men and a little boy. And he's thinking, surely they're not gonna hang this little boy in front of us. And they march the three up there and stand them up on that chair. They bring the nooses down and they put the noose around the neck and the two grown men say, you know, fight for liberty, you know, stand for liberty. The little boy, though, on the other side looked kind of terrified. He didn't say anything. He's just standing there, eyes wide, <clears throat> a little overwhelmed. They kicked the chairs up from underneath them, and Ellie said, they made us walk by all three of them. And he said, as every single one of us walked by, the two men were heavy, and so they, they, were, they died fairly quick. You see their tongues were blue, their eyes were rolled back in their heads, but he says, you walk by the little boy, he was really light, obviously in a concentration camp and being small. So as they walked by, he was still alive. For minutes it went on. As people walked by, his tongue was still red, his eyes were still there. And he just hung there in front of them, a little child. And he said, from behind me, I could hear a man saying, my God, where's God? Where's God? And Ellie said, I could hear a still small voice in my mind and my heart saying, he's right there on the gallows. God is not an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. God may not relieve us of all of our pain, it all might not go away, he may not snap his fingers all the time and just make everything perfect, but God is with us every step of the way. And when we go through the most challenging and difficult times of our lives, he's right there on the gallows with us. When we're going through the most difficult times in our lives, we only see one set of footprints. It's not because we were alone, it was because he was carrying us. And that's what God is saying to us. I am your refuge and strength. Lean on me, depend on me, put down your sword, be still and know that I am God. As we continue, Gideon, Gideon is still struggling. He's still struggling to trust himself and to, and to really trust his God. See, at this point, he doesn't trust God with the end of the story because he doesn't know the end. He's not gonna trust God with his story because he doesn't know what the end looks like. So Gideon comes up with this amazing plan. 
he comes up with this unorthodox plan to sit down and you know, sit down and talk to God about this plan. It is absolutely fascinating, and I'll tell you what it is next week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together, and thanks, Lord God, for who you are. God, we pray that you give us wisdom and strength to trust you for the end of our story. Please, God, give us the strength to trust you at the end of our story. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us, mighty warriors, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Help us to see us the way you see us. Help us to become the person you've designed and created us to be. Help us to understand and have faith so that we can become that person through your strength, not our own. God, may we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose blessed and holy name we pray all these things. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great, great week.